Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Catherine. Welcome to Driving, Driving with, with the, the Bovinos. Bovinos. On this episode, we talk with Patrick O'Brien, the Director of Government Affairs and Communications for Holtec International. Pat shares about his experience with Boston politics, nuclear energy, and life lessons from his grandmother. So put on your space shoe, because we're going out of this world. Welcome, Mr. Pat O'Brien. We are super excited to have you. Welcome. And you have the honor of being the very first ever official guest of Thriving with the Bovinos podcast. Yes, very I'm, exciting. I'm very honored. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. Really looking forward to it. Are you are you laying down in a bed right now? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm in my office. I just have a lot of discomfort in my lower back, so oh. I've just been... Kind of oh. leaning to the side a little bit. I thought you were a little, a little, uh, really casual. No, will this, will, will this make you feel better? Uh, if I go, yeah, if I go like this, does this make you feel better? That was it. That was it. I, I, I was talking to Catherine, and uh, I was like, you know what? I want to start out by sharing. Like Pat is just always, you know, since I've known you, what probably twenty, twenty-five years 20, now. Yeah, yeah. Right. Wow. You always show up and you're always like happy. You're always like jolly. You're like in a good mood. And I was like, even when he's mad, you know, he's not really like angry. It's almost like, oh, it's it's kind of funny when you get mad because you're not really mad, but you're <laughs> you're mad. And you're always so like so giving and like helpful to other people. Like I wanted to ask, like, how did how did you get that way? Like, where does that come from? Like, how? Yeah, how, that's, what a, good, you yeah, that's that? a good one. I, you know, it, it's funny. It, it is. It, you know, even I know when I get mad, like the easiest thing is I'll, I'll usually end up cracking up in the middle of it because I can't even take myself seriously. Um, but I, you know, I really think it was more, you know, just just growing up. Um, you know, I grew up with living with with my mom and you know seeing my dad every other weekend and you know just kind of an appreciation. She was a nurse and uh, you know kind of that caring aspect towards towards people. She's a pediatric nurse, so. Um, you know, that was kind of always my, my logic. And then I kind of got into, um, at a pretty young age, um, you know, politics. I started working um, at a gas station for a guy that ended up becoming a state rep and, uh, you know, saw that kind of giving back to the community. So it was always something I enjoyed doing. And I mean, it's really kind of, you know, I, I laugh now, you know, uh, 25, 26 years later uh, from off my first job, you know, it's kind of where my career began. I didn't think pumping gas was going to lead to where I am today. <laughs> so the gas station, your, your, your boss at the gas station became a yeah, state rep. Exactly. He, he just decided, you know, to run for office and he was young. He was like 33, got elected and, uh, we kept in touch, um, after I, you know, went, went off to college and, uh, you know, I, I thought I had a pretty good plan when I was going to college, you know, all through high school, my goal was to be a high school history teacher and coach baseball. And that's what I wanted to do. That's what I was going to do. I was 100% sure of it. And then I got to college um, and had a lot of fun. But really, it's going to sound really weird because of where I am now. But my biggest fear once I started to go down the, the, the path of being a teacher was I wasn't sure I could stand up in front of a room full of people and talk. And my yeah. joke is always, so then I get into politics, and that's literally all I've done right. since then is get in front <laughs> of room full yes. people, talk, get on, you know, uh, podcast, media, and, and talk about, about issues all the time. So it's it's kind of an interesting path. <laughs> so what's helped you overcome that fear? Is it just practice and experience? Practice and is a big part. Failing I, I'll tell you the, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of that. But I'll tell you the best piece of advice someone gave to me one time uh, when it comes to at least like public speaking is you're the experts. If you're going to talk about something, you, you know, they're bringing you in to be the expert on something. So theoretically, no one in that room should know more about it than you do. And when you kind of put that into perspective and you take that as your mindset, 
you really gain more confidence and it makes it a lot easier every time you do it. Um, you know, I, I mean, you know, now I'm, I'm in the nuclear industry now and, and it's been a long kind of path to get into the nuclear industry, which is a pretty complicated industry to understand for, for a lay person. The best thing I ever did is I had one of the, one of the, the training instructors here look at me and say, you're going to take the same class as all the operators that run the plant take. And I'm like, I'm the communications guy. Why do I need to do that? He's like, you'll see. So challenged me to take it, took the classes, you know, two weeks worth of classes, had to pass the test at the end. But it was probably the best thing I could have done because I gained the knowledge. And then that, again, made me more confident going forward. And here I am eight years later, still kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, they say like even at like McDonald's, you can't be telling the guy who's cooking the burgers right what to do unless you've been there and done it in his shoes and kind exactly. Of, and then you have uh, empathy. I mean, it's the people that kind of do that and and act like they know it are the ones that really don't. They act, um, you know, in a manner that you know they think they know everything, and it's like no, you, you haven't been in these shoes. You don't understand it. Yes, I saw I saw a meme the other day, and it was like. Don't worry, it's not just you. Nobody knows what the hell they're doing. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's you know? accurate, especially in the world today. I mean, the way things change so quickly, <laughs> um, you know, and you see, you, you see our kids. I mean, I laugh. I, you know, I have a five, almost five-year-old, almost three-year-old that you guys know, and I watch the five-year-old take my dad's phone and explain to him how to use an iPhone. My dad's seventy, oh, so you know, just that yeah, kind of yeah. technology, <laughs> that that ability to kind of just keep doing it. They understand it better than he does. So, yes. That's that's our kids <laughs> teaching us. Well, my, teaching me at least. Oh yeah, all how right. to use my phone. <laughs> so you, you mentioned your your parents are were divorced, d- divorced and divorced yeah, exactly. at an early age. How did, yeah, how my parents got divorced. When I was, your, yeah, your outlook. Uh, it's it's interesting because yeah, they kind of were. Um, you know, they get divorced by the time I was pretty much three. Um, had been separated. You know, earlier than that, and. Um, it was, it, you know, I, I think it just gave me, gave me a different perspective. Um, growing up, you know, living with my mom, you know, 85% of the time, um, just gave me a different perspective on, you know, watching how, it's going to sound a little weird, how men treat women, women treat men. Um, it gave me a different perspective on how people, I think, interact, which has then allowed me, I think, to be successful in how I kind of interact with people. I mean, I always joked that just based on kind of growing up, I kind of know within five minutes of meeting someone, whether I'm going to like them or not. And and I'm very rarely wrong. And usually when I'm wrong, I'm wrong in the, I didn't think I was going to like the person and I end up liking them. It's very rare that I miss on someone, um, mm. you know, and, and like them and then end up not. So, you know, kind of that interaction, that ability to understand and, and connect with people, I think was, was a big part of that. Um, you know, having to communicate back and forth, having to understand, you know, discipline between two parents that didn't live together. I and mean, that's a challenge um, oh, yes. I mean, for any kid. Um, you know, I mean, even two that live together now, we yes. still have disagreements. <laughs> oh, like no, I how same, we want to handle situations. Same. Yeah, is that that comes up yeah, in your no, house? <laughs> absolutely, one hundred percent. It's you know, I, you know, I hate to say it, I, I love my wife. She's she's more of the well, you know, I read this article and I read this article and I I'm more of the yeah. This is my gut. This is how I would have wanted to have been disciplined when I was a kid. And I hate mm. to say it, my five year old is pretty much a spitting image of what I was when I was that age. Um, yeah. So that we kind of we kind of balance it between that. I know Pat from college, and so you know, one of the biggest jokes we always had going around was, "Oh, you're you're working at the State House in Boston, huh?" And like, <laughs> I think we, because you kind of mentioned it, I think some, it was obviously something you were proud of, and it was like a really cool thing, yeah. and like, wow, to be working there, and we kind of maybe we're all a little jealous, or like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I thought we, I, I thought it was pretty cool too, but since you thought it was cool, then I 
had to think it wasn't cool. Kitty doesn't understand yeah, exactly. that logic. Well, that makes but... sense. Yeah. <laughs> so what what was that all about? How did you actually, get into it there? It was actually interesting. Um, you know, again, you know, I, I kind of got into it because my, my old boss um, became the state rep, and I did an internship uh, between my junior and senior year of college. Um, about the same time, I, I kind of decided, I don't know if I'm going to teach. I don't know if I can talk to, to people in a crowd. Um, so I wanted to see what else was out there. And I, I always enjoyed politics growing up. Um, so it was something I, I liked to be involved in, um, you know, even with, with going back to high school, I was involved in like kids voting and trying to get kids, um, you know, understanding, you know, what, what, what their right to vote means and, and how um, that affects their own futures. So, you know, I did the internship and really kind of hit it off um, with my, um, what became my, my boss again, um, his legislative aide, and she actually was looking to leave and the timing just worked out kind of perfectly. Um, and I really kind of liked the, 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 the constituent services piece. So when I started to, started to work for him, um, you know, really it was getting the calls from your local community, um, helping connect people that were having problems with, you know, unemployment, um, you know, insurance, uh, welfare, things along those lines where, you know, they just need a little bit of help. They didn't know how to uh, kind of navigate the system. Because um, government, you know, I spent 13 years of my career and it could be a big time bureaucracy that's, that's tough to kind of get through. So, um, I really enjoyed that piece of it. And then kind of the addition was, you know, if you're a legislative aide, you don't usually stay around more than a couple of years um, and then find something. I ended up staying for five years, um, mainly because I, I loved the work. Um, but I also got the opportunity with him to work on the state budget. Um, his position uh, in, in the minority party allowed him to be the, uh, the rank and minority member on Ways and Means. So really helped develop, develop the budget, which then allowed us again to be able to to get some money for people that, that needed it, needed to help, um, and then actually see tangible progress in my own community, you know, doing things around the community, um, you know, to spruce up, um, you know, different areas and, and help different groups, which was really kind of the most rewarding part of it. Um, but I did that, you know, five years and it was great. I mean, it was a great experience, uh, you know, really gives you a different perspective on, on uh, you know, kind of what other people are going through. I mean, you kind of live in your own little bubble and, you know, I, I remember talking to this one woman and I still this one still still sticks in my head where single mother trying to help, um, you know, her family. Uh, I think she had a daughter and, uh, you know, she was trying to work and was trying to get what's called mass health, which is, you know, the state run uh, health care. And she was like eight dollars over the um, uh, income limit to to receive mass health. And, you know, it's frustrating. I tried to help her and she, you know, she says to me and it, it stuck with me and it just she just said, so you're telling me I'm better off quitting my job to ensure that I get health care for my child than trying to better myself and work. And that was that's a really frustrating kind of thing to hear from someone. And, and, and um, but something that, that kind of stuck with me, because then, you know, the other side of that was always I deal with someone calling up and saying, hey, these people are stealing mass health benefits. They are over income, but they're hiding cash. So there was that balance of frustration as someone that, that kind of understood the system that, you know, Maybe if that person or, you know, multiple people weren't doing that, the income levels, maybe $10 higher, this woman's covered who actually needs it. And, you know, the, the system works the way it should. So it, it was it was interesting. It was good learning experience, um, you know, to be a 21 to 26 year old kid working in Boston, um, you know, getting to, to meet a lot of kind of interesting and, and uh, important people was really kind of kind of a, a fun start to my career. I was thinking about, you know, this politics and, and now and it's so divisive and left, right, left, right. And, and really, there's like, like in your example, there's really no, 
like winner, right? And it's like it's almost like I was thinking the analogy of like pushing somebody in front of the train to save a hundred, right? There's those kind of uh, what's that? Uh, those examples or. What's the like an analogy? No, not yeah. an analogy. It's like a moral kind of yeah. compass kind of yeah. questions, if you, would, you know. Yeah, and, one of those. And, if you go and no back matter time, what you would you do, kill Hitler to save, you know, one of those things, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, that's the, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but no matter what <laughs> you do, yeah. you're going to help some people and you're going to hurt some, right? And you, you're, uh, I think the objective is to help as much as you can with hurting the least amount. And no matter, you know, the left side will say one thing and then the right side will point out the people they're hurting and then vice versa. Yeah, no, it's, it's changed an, it's so no much in the 20 years since I started. Of, I mean, I remember, you know, we, I worked for a Republican in Massachusetts. Massachusetts, very heavily Democratic. Um, I think at the time, out of 160 representatives, there are 29 Republicans. And you really had to work and compromise to get anything done. And that's really what it was about back then. Um, you know, unfortunately, now I think the way our world's kind of gone is the focus is less on, you know, you know, compromise and finding, you know, middle ground for the common, common good. You know, if we were on different sides of an issue, maybe I get 40% of what I want on this one, you get 60% on the next issue, maybe that's flipped, but we're all working towards, towards a goal. And unfortunately it's become kind of all or nothing and it's become, I need to win and you need to lose. And that's, that's, that's not what government should be. It's not, it's not a game to be played. It's really, um, you know, something that, that is there to be a safety net, help people that, that have needs uh, and look for the common good. And that's kind of the, the, the challenges I think going forward. And I don't, I don't know how you fix that. That's the biggest thing is, you know, unless you can get people and I'll say, I think the internet's a biggest challenge to that is you have a lot of people that can get behind a keyboard and make statements that, you know, back in the day, you'd never say to someone's face, you know, otherwise you might get punched in the face. Unfortunately, it's just the, the way the world is, is a lot of people just kind of follow that, that mantra now that oh, I can say whatever I want. And there's no repercussions. And, you know, that's not how, that's not how you build a better society. No. And that, I think that's kind of one of the reasons we kind of wanted to start this as well is just to have these conversations, you know, and even get to, talk to people that who really talks and connects with people regularly anymore. I mean, you right. do a lot, right? You talk to your family and your mom almost every day, but yeah. I mean, I'd probably talk to Pat yeah. once every couple of years on the phone, right? It's mostly text messages and like social media stuff. So just even having yeah, these opportunities, no, it makes a lot of sense. Of it makes a lot of sense. Right. We really have yeah, become disconnected as a society. Obviously COVID I think really affected a lot of that. Um, you know, and that, that, that's a challenge. I mean, yeah. for your, for your birthdays, we've done a lot of funny, fun things over the years, you know, your 30th, your 40th. And I spent my, I spent my 40th locked down. It was just a completely different world, you know, compared to, to uh, you, know, uh, yeah. you know, previous. And I think that's, that's taken a lot of it out for people. It's, it's been, people have been slow to kind of get back into it, start to reconnect again because the world's become a lot easier. You don't have to go into work. You can video conference in and I don't actually have to see someone. I was talking to, I was at a meeting in New York the other day and I was talking to one of the guys who works for the state there. And he goes, you know, with, with, with video conferencing, he goes, I hired someone during the pandemic and I didn't actually meet them in person for two years. So it's just a different world. You don't even know your coworkers, <laughs> yes. you know, as well. So. Yeah. I started working with clients during that time. Um, and I still haven't met them in person because since then I've moved across the country, right? And so they're in California and I'm here and yeah. still haven't met them. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. You're just a screen. Like sometimes yeah. it's that shock when you do meet right. them. Or like when, you, when you're a kid yeah, and you see your exactly. teacher at like the grocery store. 
<laughs> you're like, what? You, you get groceries too? What? <laughs> so weird. So what did you learn in your in your politics and what made you kind of yeah, I mean, get out of that or, or transition? I mean, I, yeah, to I mean, of, I think you're, really, you're, you know, I went out. from the state house. I transitioned actually over to the community that I grew up in, um, Plymouth, and I stayed in, in local government for another eight years. And that's really... I learned a lot of things in the sense that, I, I, you know, one of the, the best pieces of advice someone gave me when I first started at the Statehouse, I'm fresh out, I'm 21 years old, I'm, I'm happy to be there, happy to have a job. And it's a guy that my, fa- my my dad's known for years. The first thing he says to me is, don't stay here too long, it's not the real world. And when I when I put that in perspective, looking back, he was he was exactly right. I mean, they, they, you just kind of become self-absolved, self-important if you stay in there too long. So when I went back to working for the local community, it really was more of a connection back to the people that I see every day in the grocery store, you know, in Home Depot and and then helping people even, um, you know, closer to home uh, in a way. So, you know, I really enjoyed kind of all that. And then that kind of town work actually got me involved more in the volunteering. So, you know, I started to, to um, be a board member for what's called Social Community Action Council. And they help with, um, they have a food warehouse and they do uh, fuel assistance and housing assistance. So really getting to, to, to be on in a um, group that really helps people in need. Um, similarly, the Regional Transit Authority, I was able to sit on their board. So kind of starting to volunteer and do those things um, at a young age just kind of gave me a different perspective. So when I actually did transition out, um, you know, after eight years and kind of fell into what I'm doing in nuclear. It wasn't kind of a planned move. It was kind of um, at a time in my life where, you know, I'd had some kind of personal turmoil a little bit and, um, you know, decided I, I, I needed a change. I wasn't kind of, I didn't really have a path. Um, but someone that I knew from the state house, we interned together, looks at me and says, Hey, I got a job for you for six months. You want it? And I took the chance. I, I had no plans past that six month contract. I didn't know what it was going to be, um, but I knew what I was doing wasn't going to get me to wherever I wanted to be in life. So kind of bet on myself. And weirdly enough, it kind of all fell into place where that girl who brought me over, she left within six months. I ended up taking her job and then have built it and continued to grow. Um, ah. from there. I mean, I, when I took it over, it was just Hey, you're a comm specialist. You're you're tied to one plant. You're an operating plant. Um, you know, in a, in a world where you know nuclear in the Northeast is is dying, unfortunately, um, as a resource. So, I think it was a month a month after I kind of took the job. It was oh, we're going to shut down in 2019, and again, now an uncertain future. And at that time, I started to date my wife, so I didn't really know where I was headed um, with with a career. So. Uh, but it's all kind of worked out. It kind of grew from me being just here at Pilgrim when we were operating to going into decommissioning for just this site. And then I've slowly kind of rose up and actually now take all of government affairs and communications for my entire company, not just the decommissioning business um, is now under me. So I have a small team, but it's been kind of fun to kind of work my way up and, and grow along the way. Love it. Love it. I was just thinking about like, you always say we have when we when you, you don't feel like you belong and you, you don't think you know oh, yeah. enough and uh, imposter, imposter syndrome, syndrome right and i feel like uh you know i think all of us kind of have that until you do you the fake the fake it's the fake it till right? you make it a little um, bit yeah i, I, I think yeah. fake it till you make mm-hmm. it right you know and especially with politics like you're one person gonna decide the fate of the state or the or, or you know like that just seems so 
crazy to me. And so, mm. like, I think, like you said, with the local kind of part, I think that government should be local. And you kind of went back to the local and keeping it small and being in touch and, and, and hearing the people and talking to the people and really seeing yeah, what was and going it's, on. Yeah, it's and, interesting to say yeah. like that, too, because I always, when I, when I talk to people, you ask them, you know, being in politics, I ask them, you know, who do you think affects your life more? And, you know, 99 out of 100 are going to tell you, oh, well, you know, I only vote for the president because that's the most impactful. No, it's the complete opposite. It's the local government that really impacts mm. life. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was always kind of fascinating to watch people. And I mean, unfortunately, I said this a couple of years ago when I was talking to a group. It's like, you know, 100 years ago, a little over now, 103, um, women were literally fighting in the streets to get the right to vote. And now our turnout for, for elections is like 20%. Right. It's just completely gone the other way. And I, I don't know if it's just complacency or if it's, you know, that feeling, I, I can't make a difference, but, you know, people can make a difference. You just got to get involved. And, and I think for, you know, our generation, it's tough because a lot of us started to have kids a little bit later in life. You're running around now in your you know, late 30s, 40s with younger kids, and it's you don't have that time to commit. I mean, I, one of the first things kind of when, when we had my, my first son, you know, my wife looked at me and said, you know, something's got to give. And at that point, I was you know, working crazy hours, but I was also the vice chair of the advisory and finance committee for my town. I was the president of a, of a social club that I belong to. Um, you know, I had a couple of the things that I was volunteering doing and it's like, you got a newborn now, so I got to prioritize. And, and it, it, you know, even, you know, now since I've had, we've had our second child, you know, my wife looked at me the other day, she's, you know, what about that position you were in? You want, you're going to go back and do any of that? And I'm like, I, unfortunately my career's progressed where I don't have the time to really kind of do what I want. I travel a ton which is hard. Um, you know, and my wife does work, you know, part-time and has some medical issues that make life a challenge most days. So it's, you know, it's kind of finding that balance. And unfortunately that what that leaves you with is really kind of a, a, a gap, I think in our generation where you have a lot of older people that are educated, um, you know, involved in the process. And then you're starting to see kind of the younger generation get involved, but in a way that I, Think they're trying to feel it out and, and understand it themselves and not really know how to be involved in the process and they kind of see you know i think in their minds the process might be a little i'm gonna say rigged but like predetermined because of how things are done and then i, I saw that first hand at the state house when i started working at the state house we would debate budget items on the floor of the house and you would have that dialogue and that debate and it slowly kind of changed with leadership where okay well we're gonna we're gonna bring this to the back room and we're going to kind of take it out of the light of day and we're going to give you one amendment that covers this area and you got a 300 pages to read in the next 10 minutes and you're going to vote on it. And it's just not good government when it comes to, comes to that kind of that mantra, yeah. um, but it's a challenge. And I think that's kind of where the gap is right now is I think there's people like us that would want to be involved. You just don't have the energy or the time or the ability to do it as much as you want to. Yeah. Or maybe the resources, right? You know, the money. The I have people ask me all the time, uh, you're going to run for selection? Experience. I'm like, no. I'm like is, yeah, it's not, it's not, as much as I would love to do something like that, you're going to make $1,000. You're going to be out every Tuesday night for five hours. It, and I, I mean, I saw it firsthand when I worked for, for the state rep. Your life's not yours anymore. Like we would go, we'd be stopping on the way home from, from Boston, stop at Home Depot to grab one thing. Here we are an hour later because 15 people saw them and start talking about everything. It's like, you're just, you're just, you know, kind of everything gets taken up and then you really, your family starts to suffer or things along those lines. So it's a challenge. Where did you get the courage 
when you had that opportunity to take that six month position to make that leap, like what <laughs> what what allowed you to do that, or how yeah. how, how did you decide that's that? A, I mean, you that's know, a, that's a go great question. I, I would be lying if I didn't say the the financial piece of it wasn't wasn't the main goal. Um, you know, when someone looks at you and says, you know, I'll give you a job for six months that's six figures, would, would you like it? Ah, sure. I'll figure it out at that point. I mean, I'll, you know, <laughs> what it was is I, you know, I had done yeah, at that yeah, point yeah. 13 years in state and local government. And, you know, the work was rewarding um, from, a, from a personal perspective. Financially, it wasn't, you know, anything to write home about, but I always enjoyed it. You know, I had a roof over my head. I, you know, liked what I was doing and I was enjoying life. But I really kind of realized that I got to take a chance if I'm going to kind of figure out what I want to do when I grow up. And, you know, it was funny to say that because I was 30 at the time, I think, um, you know, trying to figure out what I want to do, do in life. Um, so or maybe a little bit older, but yeah, you know, it, it, and I, I just said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to figure it out, you know, and I'll take that chance. I'll take that risk. And I'm one that really um, has always enjoyed kind of comfort. I don't like to have a ton of change. It's not really my, um, my comfort zone. Um, so I did it. It worked out. I mean, I would encourage people to kind of, if, if you come to that crossroads at, at some point in life to, to take that chance, you know, bet on yourself. Uh, you, you'll learn either way, whether it was the right decision. And I remember, um, you know, when I, when I started kind of in, in my initial internship um, back in this, you know, when I was 21, I remember someone said to me, there's no bad internships. And, I, and I've used that again when I've gone and spoke to, to colleges because Ooh. there's no bad internships in the sense that, you're going to find out what you do or you don't want to do. And it's better to find out, you know, kind of in college or at an earlier time where you can pivot, you can adjust instead of being five, six years in a career and going, oh, oh man, this is not what I signed up for. And I can't do this for the next yeah. 40 years. It's not going to work. So, you know, those type of things. And then to me, the biggest thing is, is, is relationship building. I mean, that's been my mantra from day one. And I remember going back to UMass, um, to the history department, they'd have me come back and speak. Uh, five, six years after I graduated and, you know, not to be too crass, but my, my line to the kids was always the same. It was, be, you know, I know that's how I feel old now, I mean, <laughs> but it was, I was always laughing. It was, you know, be yeah. careful, be careful the hand or the, or, you know, the fingers you step on today, they may be connected to the, the ash you have to, ki you have to kiss tomorrow. It was always kind of a way to understand it that if you just treat everyone the same, you're, you're not going to run into that situation where someone that you kind of just brushed off, you didn't think they were anybody at the time. And I used to use the examples. I mean, I, I had kids that I interned with that became state senators, state reps. They became, you know, agent, you know, agency heads for, for state government. They became big business leaders. You know, these were people that we would go out and have a beer with. And we all didn't know where we were going at that point in life. I mean, I'm sure, you know, more, people probably said the same thing about me. I didn't think that's where he'd end up. You know, I mean, who, who knows where I was, where they thought I'd be, uh, but probably not here. Uh, so that type of thing and that kind of inner you know, interpersonal connection and, and making sure you keep those connections um, is really key, I think, to, to build a good network that can help you kind of be allowed to take those chances. Because, you know, I took the chance because it was someone that I knew from, from an internship, but I also knew that I probably wasn't going to fail. If I took six months and there wasn't a job there, I have a network that I can then branch out to. Yeah, I think that's important, right? We all we all need help, and I think we, we've talked about that before. Where you know you you're not going to do anything by yourself. You know, even when I um, was growing up, you know, I had to live. Uh, when I moved to Florida, I stayed with my aunt for a couple months and got you know get started there, right? And so I think that 
definitely helps. It takes takes what, some vulnerability to ask for help, which, which yes, I'm still definitely. learning about today. You know, I, I like to <laughs> not. It's hard for me to ask for help. You know, mm-hmm. I like to have the think I can do everything. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you 100. percent My wife half the time looks at me and goes, why, "Why don't you just call someone to go help you do this?" And I'm like, "No, I got this. I got this." And to the point where finally the other day I was like, "Fine, all right, I'll call my friend. He can come over here help me move this thing." Instead of me trying to kill myself, fine, I'll listen to you. But <laughs> it does. It takes a lot sometimes to kind of, you know, be vulnerable and just, you know, kind of come to a point and admit that I can't do everything on my own and I do need some help. And um, but but I, I think that's, you know, being vulnerable like that actually allows people to to see you be, you know, have more empathy and connection with you uh, and help you grow as a person as well as them. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Tell me, I can't can't leave without talking about Grammy Grammy O'Brien. Uh, oh my mom! No, my mom's mom. And, so that was Chris. Nana, Grammy Chris. That's right. Sorry, sorry, Nana, Nana. Yes, she she 90... lived to well, she was ninety nine, right? She was in her nineties. Yeah, remember. And I had a p- pleasure of meeting her a few times, and she was always a hot ticket, and just always had so much full of energy, and just kind of a lust for life and 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 what did you, what did you get from her what, she was what a big geek she, right you know it's one of those things where my, you know it's my mom's mom um and her name was eileen crisp and you know she i mean to give people perspective i mean if you if you picture betty white that was my grandmother you know she's funny quick-witted uh, but kind yep. of the same kind of kind of mm-hmm. um you know demeanor but you know i look at it and, and this is a woman who you know was widowed in her 50s lives to lives into her 90s her husband had been a boston cop um and dropped out of an aneurysm and she chose to be herself she never never dated again you know she was and they had met you know when they were in the 1920 range so she was just committed to him and that was that was her life and when he passed it you know nothing changed she lived in the same house pretty much up until um she passed i mean she started to in her later years uh, to get some dementia, which was a challenge, you know, for all of us to see. And, you know, but I, I, you know, to give you a prime example of the type of woman she was, you know, she's, she's in, in the throes of, you know, having, having dementia and things along those lines. And um, shortly, shortly before I got married, you know, she ended up going into a dementia unit and uh, you know, my wife and I, Brian, you were there, but uh, you know, have the wedding, she couldn't attend, which really, you know, still kind of is a regret on my end, but I understood from a, family perspective, why it was a challenge. And once we got pregnant with, uh, with our son, Jameson, uh, my wife and I go and talk to her at the, at the nursing home. And I, I had to laugh because her response, you know, tell her, Hey, Nana, you know, we're, we're going to have, uh, her first grandchild. And, uh, she looks at me and goes, the hell do you want kids for? And I just cracked up like and I'm like crying and laughing at the same time because, A, it was just like, a, you know, that's just her. She had no filter. She was going to say it was on her mind, you know, and then to be able to call my mom after and like I'm still laughing and crying at the same time calling her. And I go, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I'm not sure your mother actually wanted kids. So, you know, I know there's the three of you, but I'm not sure any of you were really desired and tell her the story and she's cracking up. So it's those type of things where, you know, she, even to the end, you know, whether she knew it or not. You know, not having that filter, being willing to talk about anything, uh, and, and you know, really just just again another caring person. I mean, she was one that, you know, every wake, every funeral, she'd show up and you know talk to people and, and try to try to you know empathize empathize with you know their loss and you know have sympathy to what's what's going on. And 
Um, but that was just her. I mean, we used to joke, we'll, we'll rent her out for, for, for wakes, you know, we'll just have her sit in the front row and, you know, talk to people and, you know, they all got a kick out of her. So it was always, you know, a good role model to have. She was, you know, she was, she was a pistol, um, you know, and she, and she would have loved, I mean, that's the thing. She, I just, it's a shame. Like I would have loved to have seen her with my kids because it just would have been like the light of the, the light of her life to see that type of thing. Mm. Oh, well, Pat, if you had three takeaways or three tools or three ideas that you would either tell your younger self or to other people that want to bet on themselves or they want to thrive in life instead of just surviving, do you or have... Get into government. Or maybe <laughs> not, not get into government. Just stay away from government. No, you know, I mean, it's funny. I, I think about this a lot because I think like, you know, what, what am I going to tell my kids when they get older? Like the things I look back on and I'm like, what, you know, what did I either miss on? Or what did I do that, that made sense? And it's gonna, this one's gonna sound funny. So I was very much one of those kids that did not wanna miss school. And being that type of kid, I missed out on a lot. And you know, there's a balance in life. And it's the same thing with, I think with, we all know with work, it's, there's a balance in life where you gotta kind of figure out what works and what doesn't. And I look back, you know, in high school, I had the opportunity every year to go skiing out in Colorado and I didn't wanna miss a week of school. So that when I actually went and did it when I was in my 30s and actually went out there and skied and I go, wow, what did I miss out on? I mean, there's just so much of that type of thing where, you know, put things into perspective, understand, you know, you can have some fun. It's not all about being serious all the time and getting to the next step. I think that would be my, my first piece. Um, you know, I think the second piece, you know, if it's younger kids growing up, take chances, um, you know, not risk. Not, you know, risk-based decisions, but not like crazy chances, but take chances, do something different, get outside your comfort zone a little bit. You know, I, I laugh thinking, and I'm sure, you know, we'll all chuckle about, you know, this kind of mentality, but when you think back to like how you were as a high school kid, and you, you think about, you want to ask someone out and you're so nervous and you're like, they probably are too, when you actually think about it. But at the time you didn't have oh, the, yeah. per the perception to kind of think outside your own head and realize that. It's not just mm -hmm. awkward for you. It's awkward for them. And we're all in this together. And, you know, there really isn't, yes. you know, a, a bad, you know, a bad time to be able to, to try to ask. And, okay, what's the worst they say? No. Okay. You know, it's not really the end of the world. I mean, unfortunately, I think, you know, you see that in today's society where a lot more, you know, younger kids are, are having, you know, mental health issues and, and, and issues with, with the interpersonal relationships. And I think part of it's what we talked about before with kind of that depersonalization where it's mostly on the computer now, um, you know, I think that's a challenge. So really kind of take those risks, understand and, and try to look at the other person um, and their perspective when, when you do things. Um, and I think you'll have a better perspective and you may have some more success. And I think finally is, you know, set goals, but be flexible. So like I, I mentioned at the beginning, like my goal from, you know, basically freshman year in high school, I'm going to teach history. I'm going to coach baseball. I do neither of those. Yeah. Do I do I have any regrets? <laughs> no, because everything I've done, even if having that as the goal, everything I've done to get to that goal, even though it didn't, it wasn't accomplished, set me on a path that actually found me what I actually wanted to do so far until I change my mind again, I'm sure. But, you know, it's really kind of, you know, set a goal and, and try to work towards it because you'll never fail. I mean, you may not get there, but you'll never fail. You'll just adjust. Mm -hmm. yes. I, I like that. Love you, it. You don't fail. You adjust. Yeah. Just adjust. Just adjust. I like there you it. go. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks, Thank Pat. You. This is awesome. Really happy to have you on. This is really cool and uh, appreciate it. No, this time. is awesome. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate <laughs> being you. the first guest. This is awesome.
you're our first guest, and uh, maybe we'll have you back Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Any, anytime. <laughs> We'd love to. Once we polish ourselves up. <laughs> 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 polish ourselves Yeah, up. exactly. Uh, that's perfect. Thank you, guys. Yeah,